Welcome to Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and today I'm talking with Eliza Wormack about early literacy skills. Eliza is currently teaching first and second grade at Stedman Elementary School. She has also been the reading teacher. She holds a master's degree in early childhood education and developmental perspectives in teaching and is currently working on a second master's degree in teaching reading. Welcome, Eliza. Thank you for having me. So I'm so excited to talk to you about this topic. So can you tell us about what you do as the reading teacher at the elementary school? Absolutely. Um, (laughs) First, I do want to say that I am delighted by my 11 first and second grade students this year and watching them learn to read and seeing them discover the wonders of being a writer is a beautiful thing. And when I go back to teaching reading, I will also be pleased. So generally, when I'm in that position, I work with small groups of six readers at a time. And um, who I work with is based on the um, suggestion of the teachers and we meet to see who needs extra support and Generally, I work with those students five days a week for 30 minutes to an hour, depending on what the teachers are in need of and what the students need support in. And those, we just read books. We have a very low tech room and we focus mainly on picture books and chapter books for the older kids. And we work through types of stories. We talk about just a myriad of things to do with story. And I absolutely love it. Nice. (laughs) So So, I love to make them excited about reading. And I'm (laughs) kind of. (laughs) It's so exciting. I think, you know, I read all the time and I work at the library, but um, as a kid, I really struggled to read. Oh, interesting. Um, and I didn't really become a voracious reader until I was an adult. Okay. And um, yeah. Anyway, what does reading to young children do for their literacy development? Like reading to them? Because I'm thinking about the library's program. We have a thousand books before kindergarten. Mm-hmm. And there's an app that you can download on your phone to track the books. But um So what does reading a thousand books before kindergarten do for your young child for literacy development? I wish that these things were around when Ari was a young child, because I would be very interested to see the list of books that we read and know how many books we read to him. I'd be curious. Oh my gosh. You would have, (laughs) I remember, I remember you reading to Ari at that age. I remember him two years old in this huge fantastical vocabulary we had stacks and stacks uh when he was a baby we lived in sandpoint alaska and we had an amazing librarian there called marta varga and she was the hungarian librarian and we would go out of there with stacks and stacks of 30 books at a time and we'd come back every other day and um yeah amazing amazing thing to be able to enjoy you know, you and I, we love picture books, so it was perfect. It, yeah. <laughs> it worked out. Well, I'm glad I still get to read them as an adult. 
Yes. When you mentioned that you didn't become a voracious reader until you were an adult, that made me think of something that I need to say publicly. Um, I want to say that early literacy isn't a race and needn't be a competition and it should be a joy. It can take time for skills to advance to a level that allows for this joy to begin showing itself. And I think it's more common for the joys of reading to take root by fifth grade than the often mentioned read by third grade statistics. This is just from what I'm seeing here in our community. Um, it has to be all right to take longer um, if need be. And my job is that I'm tasked with assisting students in finding that joy. Um, and that assistance should not stop when they turn nine. Um, and if I had the necessary funding and position, I'd research the, that longer, broader path to literacy. And I really think audiobooks, manuals, articles, comics, anything that pulls out the reluctant reader uh, should be used. And I love doing that because sometimes the kids that come to me for extra support are reluctant readers and finding what they love to read makes me so excited. Those are my favorite days. <laughs> yes. So and I have a child too, that if it wasn't for comic books, I say he wouldn't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, so when they can when they can unlock the code, you know, by being excited about a certain kind of book, um, I, I just there was a new a new study done at Ohio State that said that infants are pre pre wired to be able to read words. This is groundbreaking because that would I, be evolution, wouldn't it? It it is very interesting. Um, and I know that you asked me a different question, but I will mention this now just because okay. I started. So according to the Ohio State News, a research team with Ohio State University found evidence that infants' brains are pre-wired to read words and letters so that the groundwork is there already. We just need to support the refinement of those structures as children increase their levels of literacy. So basically they're saying that this may help us understand why it's sometimes very difficult for people to learn to read. And there might be connections with dyslexia that further research will uncover. It's really exciting because there could be a reason for this. Yeah. Know? And we might be more able to help those children who struggle. Okay. So back to your original question, which was how does reading to the young child, what does it do to their literacy development? So parents have a super important job that's just as important as teachers at school or as the child themselves. So the foundations of literacy are built at home with your family. Um, and the work that goes into that is just as important as what teachers do. So families can really boost their children's success with literacy by joyfully building habits and spaces that include reading, writing, and oral communication. So if you have a child who's telling you a story, you can write it down, and then that shows them how meaningful their words are, and even shows them that having their words on a page is powerful. 
And so that was, was and is one of my favorite things to do with young children so yeah. that they can see their words on a page. And it's so easy to do that anyone can do it. And you don't need to be crafty um, and you don't need to spend money. Um, just putting their story under their picture that they drew. Um, I feel like kids should have crayons and paper as soon as you feel like it's safe for them um, and books the same because why not? It can be such a joyful thing. Yes. So I just came across some pictures not too long ago of my oldest son had drawn and then I had done that. Mm-hmm. And oh, how powerful that was for him. He loved. Mm-hmm. It was so like it was. Um, it gave him some kind of pride or ownership that he had said that and done that. And there were the words and we could read them over again. Yeah. Yes. And he could read them. I mean, to first to express yourself and have a parent that's listening and then to have that parent show that your words are important enough to put them on paper and then to be able to read your own words. I mean, this is why we've come as far as we have as human beings, right? <laughs> yes. And I have to say also, because I said I was a reluctant reader, which I was, but I still, I don't have many early memories, but probably one of the earliest memories I have is actually the first book I ever read. And oh, it was Winnie the Pooh that I was able to read by myself because I had heard my mom read it to me so many times. Yes. And I still remember like Pippi Longstockings and all the fairy tales she used to read to me. Absolutely. I, um, I, at, let's see, I was five, four, I was four years old and my father was moving to Los Angeles. We were going to be apart for about a year while he got set up there and ready for us to move from Toronto to Los Angeles. And so he felt that it was important enough that I hear him read stories that he used to send, he used to send me books and then a tape that he recorded his voice on and keep me interested. He used a fart noise when I was supposed to turn the page. (laughs) He would read me books. (laughs) Oh, that's great. That is fabulous. The fart noise. (laughs) Yeah, you can, you can pull them in. I, I think I still, um, yeah, I probably make way too many. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> what are some of the fun activities parents or caregivers can do with children ages zero to three to promote literacy skills? Okay. So like I mentioned, writing down their stories, you can, this is one of my favorites. You can also make a simple book about an experience that you had. Say you went to the pumpkin patch together and said hello to Bennett and picked out a pumpkin. You could make a simple book. You could have photos of that experience and simple repetitive words along the bottom. And then not only does the child get to see the words that match up with the experience they had, but they feel um, kind of part of literacy because there they are in the book. And this is would cost very little money and just having those art supplies around makes little ideas like this take shape, you know? So, um, but those important, the important part of that would be to use simple repetitive phrasing 
that they might be able to latch onto. And gosh, one day you'll probably see them pick it up and read it themselves. And that is okay. And that is wonderful when they're, when they're just telling the story through the picture or they're repeating what you say and it's, it's pre-reading and that's exactly what we want them doing. They're, they're doing the actions necessary to be a reader. And that's the kind of foundation that parents have the job of building. What does this look like when we, when we read? What are the actions? Do we put our fingers under the words? We turn pages this way. Um, this is the front of the book. This is the back of the book. Um, you can, the, the story is in the pictures and the words. Um, so when you read with your child, they're learning things like this directionality of print and English and having those concepts helps when, when they're learning to read on their own because they already have an experience to build on. So yes, there are activities that are fun, um, like songs and rhymes. Um, well, can you tell us a little bit about that, about the importance of finger plays? I should have, I should, I will say that I will put the link to Jayberry. Have you, have you used them? No. Oh, it's this fantastical library of finger plays with from these with these two librarians from Vancouver. It's called Jayberry, and um, yes, all kinds yeah. of finger plays, amazing finger plays, and songs and rhymes and so the 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 good thing about those rhymes and songs is that it awakens their awareness of different sounds. So they're gaining an ability. So they're working on their phonemic awareness, which is the ability to manipulate sounds. So having those rhymes allows when they come to school, they remember, oh, that's that rhyme from Dr. Seuss, or that's like that song that I sang with my mom or my dad. Oh, that's, you know, they recognize something from their experience. And then that connects to what you're doing in the classroom and boom, you have learning because that's, you're building together knowledge. Nice. <laughs> so, and I, I do want to say these, you could, there just, there is an amazing amount of activities and ideas out there, but the most important thing is simple and it's habits, habits that you can get into daily around reading with your child. Um, and that's, that's got to be the main central point here that I want to make is those habits. You can, if you're creative and crafty, there's a lot you can do. And I'm happy to help think about that. But if you're not crafty and you don't have a lot of time, just pick up a book, go to the library and get a stack and have it out and available in a prominent part of the house so that maybe when they trip on it, they'll pick it up and read it. <laughs> so <laughs> the other thing I did want to say about the zero to threes is that having letters around on blocks or magnets on the fridge, this is great. It's not necessary, but it helps kids to have letters become familiar friends. And young children so often think that the first letter of their name is their letter. And that kind of thing is so neat. And that's the type of thing that we can promote when we just have these things available and we talk about them. 
at the same time, making these things relevant doesn't mean that I'm suggesting flashcards and quizzes. I mean, early childhood shouldn't feel like you're preparing for a medical degree. You know, I'm not <laughs> suggesting that. A balance is important. And this is all, this all has to be up to the family and up, up to them to decide what's, what's comfortable for them. If you are just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and today I'm talking with Eliza Warmack, a teacher and reading specialist, about early childhood literacy skills. Now back to our conversation. Okay, the other super duper important thing is storytelling. You know, oh, so my- I love this. My dad used to tell us stories. He didn't read us books when we were kids, my mom read to us, my dad would lay in bed and tell us stories. Yeah. And there was a, the main character was Jimmy Zamovia was his <laughs> name. And, um, oh, we just, we hung on his every word. Yes. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'll let you finish that thought. <laughs> oh, that is wonderful. I think that, um, it's important. Storytelling is important to many cultures um, and there's rich benefits for children's comprehension skills when you support that um, storytelling. And then to, to, to start a story and have the children tell the next part. And if you have multiple children, they add to the story. Um, that can be a really fun activity that actually um, Mrs. Sharon Smith talked about. I, she and I work together um, as reading teachers and she's actually my aide this year in the classroom. And I put these questions to her because I really value her experience, 28 years or something yeah. in teaching reading. Um, she's absolutely amazing. And she did mention that that was a family tradition of hers to, to start a story and have the kids finish it. So nice. I got to get a plug in there for Mrs. Smith because she's yeah. amazing. <laughs> so, oh, Right. So there is an amazing value to storytelling educationally and culturally that should be supported. Um, and the uh, an important part is to also give the children the time to respond, that wait time, and to by listening to them, listening to their stories, because that's part of learning about communication and oh yeah and those communication circles not just listening to them but then responding to what they say with perhaps in a way that lets them know that they've been heard Mm -hmm. that you've heard what they're saying and asks a question about it to kind of Mm -hmm. keep the conversation going almost and oh they yes that's so well I think it's important for anybody but kids just wow and not that, not just um, yet questions that have yes or no answers, but open-ended questions that will have them rambling on about something. <laughs> <You know>? Yes. <laughs> I remember that four-year-old age where they just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and you're so exhausted. <laughs> just incredible. And it, it seemed to always happen right before my kid went to bed. He would just just spout off amazing imaginative things, and um, I'd, I'd have to videotape him, and we'd, he'd be up later than he needed to be. <laughs> so listening to them, having real conversations, not just asking babies things you already know the answer to. I had a kid 
my own, that is, that really disliked those kinds of questions, he'd be very angry if you asked him where his nose was or things like that. <laughs> because infants understand so much of what we say already. They, they can't respond um, the way that we can, but they understand so much. And it seems patronizing maybe to <laughs> ask them questions that we know the answer to. <laughs> so having real conversations with them. And when they're really young, narrate, narrating what it is that you're doing, you yes. know, but I don't know that every culture does that. And some folks are quiet and that has to be okay too. But giving families the information, the data that says where, how you can boost a child's learning and how you can support them, you know, giving that information is important. And then families can calibrate and um, make their own decisions. Yeah. But we do know from, from research that talking to young children is so important. Absolutely. Making that connection. Yes. And, and mostly about relationships. It doesn't even have to be academic, you know, but talking with them builds your relationship. So how about for children ages four to six? I mean, there's some storytelling in there also. Um, Absolutely. Or retelling of stories, I know. Yeah. And I, I do believe play should be the center of everything in the life of a you know, young child in the three, four, five, even six. And I know that our school does a fabulous job of making kindergarten play-based and um, language rich. Um, So you can take what the child is interested in and explore with them. Um, If you're crafty, I mean, there's just an insane amount of things out there. Um, And if you prefer to keep it simple and, and inexpensive, um, use their interests and your goals to build habits, like I said before, like keeping a big stack of picture books and visiting the library uh, weekly, bi-weekly. We have an amazing library. <laughs> and and um, just walking in there can lead to a love of learning because your displays, the art, the history, um, and your programs are so amazing that they're so engaging and making that time to visit can just do so much for young children. Um, Thank you. I, um, I think that you said something that's so important there is following their interests. Mm -hmm. I remember that um, like the the kid who loves cars Mm -hmm. and trucks or the kid who loves Mm -hmm. dinosaurs or the kid who um, I had a kid that loved animals Mm -hmm. and um, yeah. And also, I had a kid who like loved Buzz and Woody. Yeah. And so we read all kinds of books about Buzz and Woody, but then we also read books about astronauts and cowboys and yeah, it those books I want to say engaged them more maybe than ones that I would have liked to pick out for them. <laughs> yeah, and you can have you can have it all and and some that they like and some that you like and um you know you can read both, right? Yes, you can. I, I just think there's something so special about that time in a child's life where they fit on your lap and their head is still under your chin. And, you know, I, I think of what it's like for the child, you know, and I remember what it was like for me as a child to have my head against my father's chest and his deep 
voice and the warmth of his arms and then just the comedy and hilarity that he would read about <laughs> and just the fun and the rhymes and his he used to use different voices for the different characters and there's got to be something magical there um, because of how it makes so many people feel and and to have that focus on building your relationship as as well as building literacy it's just got it's the most magical thing so I mean the, the most important thing is the relationship and then secondary to that you've got this boom in literacy that happens when you frequently read to your child and I just encourage that so much and when and then once they take off in reading and they're too big for your lap still read to them just because they can read doesn't mean that that relationship has to end because the nice part about reading to them is it might be a book that's at a higher level than they can easily read, but they're interested in it. And so you can close that gap for them. You can have them thinking and learning at a higher level, but in a way that they're interested in. And in that way, you can guide them forward. Because like you said before, you liked to read the A.A. Milne book because your parents had read it to you. So you're kind of scaffolding them as they go on by continuing to read to them. I will, I'll add to that right now. Um, I love to read aloud to my kids and I have for years. And I found myself this summer in the pandemic, I started reading aloud to my 13 year old, which I haven't done that in in years. Um, But we started reading Born a Crime, the Trevor Noah story allowed because it was so funny but also important mm-hmm. and so it made a good read aloud oh yeah because then you have those conversations yes which that was the important part is that turn taking and conversation I mean the the important part for younger kids is that turn taking and conversation but um but for him at this age we had very important conversations about the concepts and what was going on in the story absolutely Absolutely. So this age group, the three to six, you know, these are the children that we are um, they're getting ready for, for school age learning, whether that's at home or that's at school, at public school, private school, wherever. Um, one of the things that you can do is encourage writing about books or writing books themselves, drawing, please get the children blank books for drawing whatever they want to draw. I you think can that never have enough blank paper exactly. <laughs> and, and art supplies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And um, the, the thing that can be a stumbling block once, they, once children get to school age is uh, hand strength, uh, holding a pencil. But So if they've been given that time to play with clay and Play-Doh and blocks and they're pinching, grasping, squishing, then their hands are strong enough to make letters when, when their family or teacher or they themselves choose that they'd like to start making letters. Um, I, I really don't believe in pushing children, um, but enjoying literacy with children. And one of the things that was important to me as a mother was not to use um, small words when I could continue to use the words I normally used. I didn't try to make things easier. I always explained or gave a definition if need be, but it was important to me 
to speak with as many words as I normally do and not make language changes because I had a young child. Oh yeah, I used a high-pitched voice. That's important. That's just kind of part of it. Um, but I didn't cut my words down to size. And um, what else do I want to say? Don't rush them. It's not a race. It's not a race, but at the same time, if they're ready and they want information about letters or stories, there's ways to give it to them in a developmental way um, that's appropriate. And we can watch, look out for that. Um, like I said before, I don't really believe in flashcards and that kind of thing for the young child, um, but ways to find joy in literacy along with your child. And that might mean making new habits for yourself. Um, you know, this conversation might lead me to go back to reading aloud to my 10-year-old and putting down my phone more often. And, yeah. and so I think we can, we can show our kids how to be literate and we can give them the foundations. And that's our job to, to build those foundations for literacy. And it's a super important job and parents can do it. And they, and they do a wonderful job of that here in this community. We have amazing, amazing students that come in here and amazing families. Yes. So I have one last question for you. Okay. Can you talk a little about the importance of talking to babies and young children, that turn-taking or closing communication circles? Why is talking to babies and children important for their literacy and overall development? Absolutely. So, so communication is a part of literacy. And just like learning how to turn a page helps a child become an independent reader, learning how conversation works helps them become independent seekers of connection and knowledge. And so when they can do that by themselves, you're giving them a leg up really, um, especially when they're entering a school environment and they're able to ask questions to further their learning. And I know it's not all about school. It can also be the most important thing socially, right? Is being able to get your needs met, ask that person on the play, playground if you can have a turn at that swing or with that ball. And so it really sets your child up for success with friendships and with literacy and in the school environment as a whole. When you're not able to speak up because you don't have that practice, it just makes it a lot more difficult. Um, so... And there have been so many studies with the number of words that you say to children helps them, you know, the more there are, the more that they know, because they, their ability to take in information at that time just far surpasses what we can even understand. Yeah. And the more you give them, the more that they're able to take in. And then later, they'll have a connection that they can make with something that they're seeing in on the playground in real life or in school. They'll remember that they heard that before. Um, so building, building knowledge and you're, you're giving them a scaffold that's taller and taller when you share with them what you enjoy and what you know. So that can be important culturally also. Oh, there is something I want to add. The importance of supporting the first language. If a child is learning a new language, a second language or third language, it might be um, there's so much value in having multilingual people around and, and those individuals um, really have an asset when they can speak more than one language. So supporting that first language 
by continuing to speak it with your child or getting books that um, are in two languages or your home language, keeping that language learning going um, is really valuable for that wow. student. And so teacher. important. Yeah. My grandfather actually was born in Petersburg and did not learn English till he went to school. They spoke oh. Norwegian at home. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, I wish I had more than more than one language. Right? I think we all do. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So those kids really have a benefit. So kind of in in closure, um, emergent literacy means that in order to learn reading and writing and speaking, children have to learn foundational concepts and strategies that will help that literacy take form and fly. And this foundation is really important and that's what parents can do. Um, so when you're helping them write, when you're writing, when you're reading to them, um, you're supporting their future. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Eliza. I always enjoy talking to you. <laughs> oh, I love talking to you as well, Kari. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So come see us at the library and join the fun in reading a thousand books before kindergarten. It actually doesn't take very long. It can be done quite quickly, even just in one, I think it was one book a day would work out to, to three years, less than three years. So, that seems a very doable habit. Yes. Form with your child. Thank you for joining us. This has been Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. Today's show will be archived as a podcast on the library's website at www.psglib.org. There will also be a link to the library's website at kfsk.org. Any resources discussed during the show will be listed in the podcast description. Thank you to KFSK and the Friends of Petersburg Libraries for making today's show possible.